Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest this week on the podcast, I have to have my brother man on, one of the foremost Beatles experts in the world, Andre Gardner. How are you, bro? Oh my God, it's so great to be on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast, but let me start off by saying what I tell everyone who calls me an expert. I'm not. No? You're a fan. I'm the biggest fan you'll ever meet, but every single day I'm learning something new. The day I stop learning about the Beatles is the day it's time to stop living. When I hear new stuff every day, I'm so charged, so excited. And I think I'm going to learn some new stuff from you guys today. I don't know about oh, that. Oh, <laughs> okay, I just clenched. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure, Marcus. <sighs> Hold on, anybody uh, got a towel? I'm sweating. <laughs> Woo! Got hot in here all of a sudden. Seriously, because we're all big fans. We all love That's true. Yeah. Like itself, you know, so we all know a little something about it. Well, yeah. most people, and that includes us, are big fans. You've forgotten more stuff about the Beatles than most people have ever learned. True. That is true. And you know a lot about the Beatles at the movies, which is what we're talking about this week. And we thought in the first part of the podcast, uh, first off, it's a big date. Do you live your entire life on the Universal Beatles calendar? Because you scheduled this chat on the day that John and Paul met and Ringo's birthday. We're kind of wedged between the two, right? <laughs> Well, I'm not exactly the kind of guy who plays the numbers, but it never hurts to do a podcast about the Beatles on the 64th anniversary of the day they met at yes. the Walton Church Garden Fate. Thanks to Ivan Vaughn, we are forever in our debt for introducing John to Paul on that incredible day. And the rest, of course, is history. So, yeah, I just thought it was kind of nice since today was the anniversary and tomorrow's Ringo's birthday. But we'd sit and talk about it. Why not? I can't wait to talk about the Beatles. I'm excited to learn some of this film stuff I do know, especially when we start talking about Time Bandits and things like that, because that was a great movie in my youth and very uh, influential. What sort of supreme being created such riffraff? Is it not the workings of a complete incompetent? But he created you, evil one. What did you say? Well, he created you... So he can't be totally... No one created me. I am evil. Evil existed long before good. I made myself. I cannot be unmade. As a Beatles fan, can you share with the imbalanced history of rock and roll listeners when your first Beatles moment happened, how it happened, so that people can... uh, 
kind of get a feel for your love of the Beatles. Well, my Beatles, my first Beatles moment, uh, you might be surprised to know, uh, I don't remember. Huh? It happened. My mother and father put me in front of the television on February 7, 1964, to watch that solo. And have told me about it for years. My brothers told me I was there. Oh, yeah. Tell you something. I think you'll understand. When I say that something, I want to hold your hand. I have no recollection of that whatsoever. It's kind of Neither sad. Neither do I. And I, I love the bullshit good. and say that I, I remembered it because it would be very easy to do it. But I, 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 I don't remember. But my first recollection, honestly, of, of anything Beatles is right at the time the Beatles were hitting, we were living in Albany. It was mm-hmm. between uh, when we sold the house in uh, Levittown and we were moving to Willingboro. The Willingboro house wasn't finished. We needed a place to stay. So we ran into this house in 6213 Nash, right there at the end where Cardinal Doherty is. And um, it was that time that the Beatles hit it big. And I absolutely remember as a three-year-old dancing around our little kitchen on Master Street. Hearing "Please, Mr. Postman" in the background because my older brothers were upstairs playing because they always had the latest records. My brother Bill was always on top of the latest songs. So once the Beatles came along, these guys were on top of it. So I remember being hooked. And then I remember hearing, you can't do that. There's another one I remember very early on. Things that just, little sparks that I heard. What is that? Oh, that's really cool. Nothing like anything I've ever heard. And then right about that time, The Sickness was born. And it was actually tied into a Beatles movie that I became uh, obsessed with it. My Which mother, one was that? It was Hard Day's Night. My mother took me to the Sam Eric in the center ah. town where uh, the, the legend is that uh, I got so excited that I pulled her down right in the lobby. I was holding her hand. I was so excited to see The Beatles. And I whipped my hands around. My poor mother knocked her right on her ass right in the center of the, uh, of the Sam Eric Theater. I've known you over 30 years, and I've never heard about these things he's telling us, Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saved it for your podcast. So from the Beatles' perspective, when they put together Hard Day's Night, now that you've had years to think about it and dig into it, was that really like an artistic thing, or was it a pure promo piece out of the mind of Epstein? And we have that thing off as well, thank you. An elementary knowledge of the Railway Act would tell you that I'm perfectly within my rights. Yeah, but we want to hear it. It's more of us than you. We're a community and charity vote up the workers and all that stuff. Give us a kiss. Oh, come on, let's go and have some coffee and leave the kennel to Lassie. Hey, mister, can we have our ball back? No, it was, it was legitimate to, to a point. There were certain instances in the movie that paralleled real life. The screenwriter, Alan Owen, was tasked by Brian Epstein to follow them around uh, during their fall tour. And he saw all the craziness in the trains and all the stuff in the hotel rooms and everything. And of course, you would douse a little bit of things for Hollywood to make up the grandfather and all that kind of stuff. 
the best but, part uh, of the movie in some ways. So loosely based on uh, on fact, with all the real uh, real juicy stuff edited out. And I was reading that the film was nominated for two Oscars. Well, it's a brilliant film. Let's face it. The fact, the side of the fact, we're Beatles fans. It is an incredibly well-made movie. Richard Lester is a fabulous director. Did a wonderful job of putting pulling it all together. You know, creating yeah. the story and uh, showing the world at that moment what the hottest thing in the world was. Tell me, uh, how did you find America? Turn left to Greenland. Has success changed your life? Yes. Are you a mod or a rocker? Um, no, I'm a mocker. <laughs> Leave them drums alone. Oh, surely I could just have a little touch. You so much as breathe heavy on them and I'm out on strike. Aren't you being rather arbitrary? There you go, hiding behind a smoke screen of bourgeois cliches. I don't go messing about with your earphones, do I? Spoil sport. Well? He's very fussy about his drums, you know. They loom large in his legend. What's up? Oh, he's sulking again. One thing I always wondered was, were they creating those scenes, those crowd scenes where the, where the fans, the girls are chasing the guys? Or was that just them capturing it while it was going on during the filming of the uh, the indoor scene, so to speak? No, those were extras, for sure. I mean, most of the film was shot at Twickenham, of course, but at Paddington Station, where the opening scene was, that was a controlled situation. And Looked it, out of control it, to me. <laughs> well, that was the brilliance of Richard Lester, because he knew, of course, if you ask 100 people to line up and be in a Beatles movie to cheer on the Beatles, they're going to be pretty enthusiastic. You know, just make sure nothing gets broken or knocked down, and you'll have a pretty cool thing to film. In 1965, uh, the movie Help comes out, and it looks like whatever that they started doing with Richard on the first movie, Hard Day's Night, ends up being perfected or taken to another level. First off, it's in color. They're in the Caribbean. They've got other actors involved. It seems like there's uh, a little more of a script. Am I wrong? Okay. Who let it out? Oh, dear, no. We're not going there. We just put it around. We're going there. We're not going there. We just put it around. We're going there. Just so everybody would think we were going there. I'd like to go there. You wouldn't like it. Where are we going then? Never you mind. Well, and the fact that they were high most of the time, too. Ah. The difference in the movie. If you look, one of my favorite parts is when you look at the scenes in Austria and they do the close ups on them. And they're all they got red eyes when they zoom in on these guys because they were going over the moguls and, you know, smoking a joint and coming back. That's when they discovered pot right before. <laughs> so of course, when you discover pot for the first time, it becomes your world 24-7. And I think it's safe to assume that that's uh, what was the case with those guys. That probably made them more comfortable behind the camera, too. So it's set up for a few ad libs here and there, which were pretty funny. What I read about uh, Help, and I have not seen it since I was a kid. I saw it in my teen years, and I've got to be honest with you, I do not remember it, is that it was sort of influenced by the whole James Bond motif and kind of a combination of the Marx Brothers. And the stuff that I do remember from those early Beatles films is a lot of slapstick humor and a lot of silliness and and a lot of, yes, exactly, and a lot of goofing on and each other and, like, laughing like that ha-ha laugh and stuff like that, so... Lenin's, Lenin's ha-ha laugh, that quick ha-ha laugh, he, he really it makes it makes me laugh out loud when I hear it. And like, Oh, and the Christmas recording, it's hilarious. Oh, and, but let's oh, face it, man, my first crush was Eleanor Braun in Help. I am not what I seem. Ah. There's more here than meets the eye. Ho 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 ho. Oh. I was in love with her. Mm. 
Ooh. played the role of Kamal. I mean, forget the name, what character name she played, but uh, yeah, I loved her. She was fabulous. Now, their next step together in film started out with the best of intentions, but the Magical Mystery Tour kind of got off its original focus and uh, both the album and uh, the project, and uh, not exactly how they all saw it coming together and coming out, was it? Let's also uh, remember that the Beatles almost filmed a, an adaptation of The Lord of the Rings in between Help and Magical what? Mystery it went to a uh, yeah. It went as far as discussions whether or not anyone would be interested in, but there was definite interest in it. It never came to fruition. But we almost had a Beatles interpretation of that. Probably would have been around the same time as the Magical Mystery Tour, around '67. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like? What that would have been like? Marcus, this is why we have my brother man on the podcast. Oh my talk God. Because stuff like this, you know what? We've talked about a million Beatles conversations in our life, and we've never discussed this kind of stuff. Oh my so. goodness. Magical Mystery Tour is, a, is, is the number one reason. Why, if you're the artist, you have a director, you have a producer. If you're in the studio, you have a producer. If you try to do it yourself, it's very difficult to make it work. And that's really what the Beatles did with the Magical Mystery Tour. Paul sketching out an idea on a plane from L.A. to London uh, in 1967, writing almost like a radio clock. He drew a clock and sort of sketched out the different segments of the movie on a napkin on an airplane. And it was formed the basis of the movie for 1967. And it was largely ad-lib. And, and when you look back on it, it really was an exercise to get all these crazy people, carnival performers and vaudeville comedians all together on a bus on one of those old British shower bag trips they take out of the country and see if anything exciting happened. Unfortunately, nothing exciting happened. So they all just kind of got together. The movie kind of fell flat. But there was a couple of really funny moments in that movie, like mm-hmm. John dishing the spaghetti onto the plate of, Aunt, uh, of Ringo's Aunt Jessie is, to me, side-splitting and hilarious when he's making these little grunting noises and he keeps keeping spade after spade spaghetti on the plate. I love that part. <laughs> well, you know, I think a lot of the absurdities in all their movies came from their love of the goons, right? I mean, sure. they, they influenced so much. The, the goon show influenced so much co- about comedy in UK for generations now because it, it continues to give. And when we get to talking about the solo stuff, one of the goons, Peter Sellers, has a big role in getting George into his post Beatles film work. It's working with Ringo the very next year after Magic Once You Turn the Magic Christian. Well, before we get around to the solo film careers, there's that rooftop concert. And uh, I know that's the sound he makes every time we discuss this because it's one of the toughest things. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. We never got the guy who wrote The Rooftop on to the podcast, but his story is a good one. Because uh, he was he's one of the f- few people still alive that was up there. What's that, buddy? The man in the white coat. Yes, the man in the white coat. Uh, but Let It Be comes out pretty quickly after they, after they were dissolved. It's weird because not too many bands or artists before or since could make that kind of a movie about themselves breaking up. Most times people break up and people go, ah, oh, it's a shame, or who gives a shit, you know? <laughs> Frankly, you know, depending upon the band. And in this, the biggest band in the world that we'd ever seen uh, decides to call it a day. And they had the cameras rolling, thank goodness, so that future generations can see what we felt firsthand. Yes, we were looking at all those, watching the business tensions uh, as Apple started firing up and they had to stop recording and filming sessions to attend meetings. And then, of course, Yoko's constant presence at Twickenham and later at Apple 
creating tensions within the band. I think it's going to be very interesting to see, guys, in the next couple months when this Peter Jackson film comes out, mm. how this month is going to be portrayed. Because we are mm. used to now the 50 years of Michael Lindsay Hogg's interpretation of that month as being a very dark and depressing mm. time. But if you take a look at the preview that Peter Jackson gave us and teased us so terribly with over Christmas, where you see a couple of minutes of brilliantly recut shot, you see nothing but laughter and frivolity and camaraderie in this beautiful scene where they're, they're wrapping up a, a song and you see them walk out of Apple and John just puts his arm around Ringo as the two of them walk out together. Morning, everybody. Another bright day. Morning, camera. Peter George Harrison above is due in court here today to answer assault charges. Harrison is accused of assaulting the photographer last May as he and Beetle Ringo Starr left a nightclub. What? Go on out. Well, don't interrupt. Hey, stars son. when they record hey, hey. We're bloody stars, oh, you know. Come in, chic. And now your host for this evening, the bottles. Jojo was a man. A bit faster, do you think? A bit faster. I mean, it really is a matter of how it's cut. And we all know how the story ended, obviously. And we know that there were tensions. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing a more spirited look at the Let It Be sessions. Because there were people there who said that it wasn't as bad as the film portrayed. So I think the truth is probably going to be somewhere in the middle. But I'm always up for a hopeful Beatles movie. And I think we're going to get it in August. I got to tell you, what we've learned doing this podcast, Andre, is that the truth lies somewhere between the conspiracy theorists and the main story given. We recently commemorated uh, Jim Morrison's 50th anniversary of his passing, and we got into it again there and in other episodes. And when we really start digging, we find that there's always a a real truth that sometimes takes decades to come out. And if anyone mm-hmm. will get it out and, and put it on display, I believe Peter Jackson will. How ironic that they almost did Lord of the Rings. And now the guy who made it a thing, really, for everybody in the world is uh, making them a thing for everybody in the world. I can't wait to see that, man. It's going to be cool. Oh, and if you haven't seen the preview, just check it out on the Beatles YouTube channel, not only because of the lightheartedness of the atmosphere, but just the beauty of the print. My God, it looks so good. You'll never, you'll never see it look as nice. There's a ton I want to talk to you uh, about in the solo filmography areas because I don't think there's, aside from all their recordings and their post-Beatles recordings and all their the stuff they produced, there's no other group in the history of rock and roll that has amassed a filmography that is as large and, and very diverse as they did individually and in the impact that they made in the film business and the movies, so to speak, individually after the Beatles is also in that one and only unique category in my mind. But I got to ask you about something, and it popped on my radar, and it shows up on all their their radars. Uh, This 1982 thing, The Cooler. I don't remember that. They were in that. (laughs) That's nutty. That's Paul and Linda dressed up in these kind of weird futuristic outfits. Eric Stewart might even make an appearance in there. 
I confess to watching about three minutes of it before just saying, okay, I'll just add that one to my collection and watch it when I'm 81. I thought you were just going to say that's three minutes of my life I'll never get back because we've said that a couple of times about things that we looked into in the podcast. In addition, and, and, and I have to say, sadly, with a lot of people's solo movie projects that they were personally involved in uh, could be considered a challenge to sit through some of them, I must say. We could go on for hours, couldn't we, Marcus, with uh, Andre, just about just about this aspect of the Beatles, but, you know, never turns out that we do a two-hour podcast, right? You don't have to worry. This isn't Joe Rogan. We're, we're going we're to get you on to your day real quickly. Uh, but first, I don't know that you have experienced the wonder of Crooked Eye and Hatboro. Uh, they are also now and, and available at Jamie's House of Music in Delco. Uh, but they are our sponsors here on the podcast, and they make the most tasty, delicious brews. Uh, I recently was in and had a fudge coffee stout, Andre, that would make you nice. Yeah. It's all a crooked eye. So let's go get a, a big – we'll get a tall one today in your let's honor. get a tall one. And then we'll come back and talk about the solo Beatles on film on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Summertime and a great pint go together like water, yeast, and hops. <laughs> And what a better place to go to get the pint that you want than Crooked Eye Brewery right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. With Pennsylvania's restrictions easing, there is live music and some other great events going on at Crooked Eye. So not only do you get that pint, but you get to have a good time with your friends as well. They are fully open, and I went in to see the Crooked Eye Band, the full Crooked Eye Band, back together for the first time in over a year. And what a great time when they're in on second Saturdays. And you can get great music at Killer Crooked Eye near you at Jamie's House of Music in Lansdowne now. Stop on by, see live music, and have a pint of your favorites from Crooked Eye at Jamie's House of Music. Right in the heart of Delco. And there's something else happening at the brewery, Marcus. They are now serving spirits. Pennsylvania Craft Spirits, now available along with your finest brews and all the other goodies they have at Crooked Eye and Hapro. I just think it helps everybody to have what they want, and that's part of having a good time when you go in both at the Hapro Brewery location and at Jamie's House of Music. So wine and cocktails there as well. It's all part of the fun at Crooked Eye. Check them out at crookedeyebrewery.com. The best way to keep up with what's going on at both locations is on Facebook, though. They do a great job keeping us informed of what's happening at Crooked Eye or Jamie's House of Music on Facebook. Four in the cure for what ails you since 2014. Check them out. Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. And in the heart of Delco. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And we are back, refreshed, recharged, and ready to talk about the Beatles in film. Andre, thank you so much for all these cool stories. Seriously. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's an honor. Well, just like the band, when they broke up, when it came to making film appearances and stuff, they all went solo. And, Dre, I probably talked to you about this over the years, but I never realized just how big Ringo's reach in film has been. I mean, every now and then he'll pop up on something like The Simpsons or have a run like he did in the, what was the kid's show he was on? Tiny Time Station. I keep it to remind myself that one day the railroad will give me a gold watch for all my years in service. That's what you get when you've been around as long as I have. But I always know what time it is. How? How? I just look at that big clock over there. <laughs> the conductor? Yeah, it was the conductor. He probably did more appearances uh, in that show than he ever did on stage with the Beatles, right? Absolutely. TV shows, commercials. I mean, the guy is a natural on TV. One of my favorite from those early days moments of Ringo was Caveman. I still remember how freaking funny he was in that movie. Just the slapstick and the ridiculous. And Well, there's the outfit from the movie Caveman, and it's in the Hard Rock in Guam. I love this outfit because I was wearing this when I met Barbara. Very attractive Caveman outfit. Yeah, we met on this movie. It was weird, and I fell in love with her. And we're still together 30 years later. But that suit, I, uh, I had to jump in a river and with these big fur boots and that fur suit. And I, actually, I was like drowning. Anyway, we had a lot of great memories on that movie. And a took a Luna Lana. By all means, not a great movie, but boy. Horror movie, but he's funny. But he was funny. Yeah, the outtakes alone. Yeah, right. and I, yeah the he's outtakes. Yeah. no script. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I remember I him from that. Candy. Have you never seen him in Candy with no. uh, uh, you all lean the Swedish uh, British Bar Bridget Bardot? He was really funny in that. That's that, that's a going to check out. I think that came out in '68. And right, and Magic Christian is probably the film that most people knew him for for yeah. a long time because he did that, got a lot of um, you know screen time in his role there. But he he's made appearances in all kinds of stuff through the years, including uh, Son of Dracula. Wasn't that one of the uh, Apple films? Yeah, that was an Apple-financed uh, film. We always marvel about 
all the amazing things that the Beatles did, but Apple Films is one of the few things they did that really kind of failed. I mean, they, they put out the uh, the Raga movie and uh, they released the, a couple of the Beatles things in the concert for Bangladesh. Mr. Harrison, with all of the enormous problems in the world, how did you happen to choose this one to do something about? Because I was asked by a friend if I'd help, you know, that's all. But there wasn't anything that really you could put your finger on that said, oh, yeah, George's got a, a hand for producing, which, by the way, it turns out that he did. And we mentioned in the first half how Peter Sellers gets him into the producer's game, and they start putting together uh, handmade films. Only one survivor, sir. Ah. So, you dare to wade us? To what, sir? Strike him, Centurion, very roughly. Ah. I think it's a joke, sir. Like, uh... Silly Osaurus or Biggest Dicker, sir. What's so funny about Biggest Dickers? Well, it's a joke name, sir. I have a very great friend in Rome called Biggest Dickers. <laughs> Silence! What is all this insolence? You will find yourself in gladiator school very quickly with rotten behavior like that. Can I go now, sir? <laughs> Wait, your Biggest Dickers hears of this. Wait! Take him away! Oh, sir, you're... No, no, I want him fighting rabid, wild animals within a week. Yes, sir. Come on, you. <laughs> and end up producing Monty Python's Life of Brian, amongst other things, including Time Bandits, which was their first big film that they produced. Your favorite there, Mark. I love that movie. So funny. We interviewed Harold Myers, who is a man who passed on being a producer for Life of Brian when it fell to George, when it came around to George. And he kicks himself when you look at the investment they were asking for versus what that film became. But George did a lot of great stuff by being in, in handmade and, and putting his, his imprint on, on films there, didn't he? And remember, what, what the sacrifice that George made and the risk that George took on Life of Brian, he did the equivalent of uh, taking a loan out against the mortgage on his house, on the Squire Park. So if that movie had bombed, he'd have been in serious financial shape and then would have gotten sued for My Sweet Lord. It would have been really bad times for George. But wow. yeah, that's right, because yeah. that was after all the all that stuff. Yeah, that, that, would, that would have been like a one-two, you know? Terrible. But, but Handmade Films was very, very clever. They put out some wonderful films with Nail and I as another wonderful film to check out the George uh, Bankroll, the nice... British comedy drama. And then there was the bomb uh, with Madonna and Sean Penn, of course, which had a great soundtrack. Yeah. Shanghai Surprise. Yep. Isn't Hollywood kind of forgiving on that? Sure. I'm nice. Sean loves a lot of bomb every once in a while, right? True. And he's had, some, he's had some great movies <laughs> over the years. So. But if you were to have one. <laughs> now, not only did the Beatles participate in film or produce film, but as individuals, they did a lot of movie soundtrack songs and things like that. Like one of the most well-known is Live and Let Die, the theme song from the James Bond movie. Do you have a favorite Beatles soundtrack song from an individual Beatle? You just named it, brother. I don't think you can you can top Live and Let Die. That's a masterwork in every sense of the word. And the uh, reunion of Paul and George Martin worked together there for the first time in a number of years. George doing the incredible production and score on that. To me, and I swear I'm not biased, it's the greatest James Bond theme song. I agree with you. No question. I agree. I just want okay. to say that as someone who has uh, known Andre for over 30 years, we met 
at a Paul McCartney tour preview when he first came back in 1989. Well, we met we met at a Stones thing a couple years before that, but we don't neither of us really remember hanging out that night because we were so drunk. The day in New York is incredibly etched in my mind because we ended up at the Lyceum Theater seeing Paul around the corner from this place where we hung out and with Fats, uh, with Fats the great Scott Muni, yes, but. <laughs> Whoa. But I digress, as we often do here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'll tell you, man, um, he didn't have as much FaceTime in movies, but George, I think, maybe made the most impact of the four with his filmography. When it comes to my favorite Beatle, and you and I have had this discussion because we worked next to each other at WMGK, the classic rock station in Philadelphia, for 16 years. Most people don't know that because there's people listening in India going, how come this guy's being so hard on this Andre guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know? like brothers. Yeah, it's because we, we don't fight, but we, we, we do no, like brothers. We never, so never have. You know, I'm looking at John's thing, though, and almost all of his credits, his role, are as himself, except for Gripweed, famously in How I Won the War in 1967. Sir, me feet sweat, sir. Sir, me feet sweat. It's disgusting. Yeah, Gripweed! Ambry, go! Come here! Come here! There's your feet, Gripweed. Wet! No. You've been giving me lights. Mr. Goodbody will want to see your feet. They dry. Then you'd best get them wet again, hadn't you? Go on! Move! Add the ammo! Anybody else? Out of earshot. And wasn't that the photo of him as Gripweed in that movie that ended up being the first cover of Rolling Stone magazine? That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, his Gripweed helmet on. But that's exactly right. He was looking for something to do, and he joined Richard, and at Richard's request, he went and filmed the war, and while he was killing time in between scenes in his hotel room, let's see, what can I do? Uh, I'll write Strawberry Fields Forever. How about that? Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry That's where he wrote Strawberry Fields Forever in Almira, Spain, filming How I Won the War. Never knew that. How about you there, Marcus? Did not know that at all. And I love hearing stories like this because hearing how some of these great songs came together or began even, like a note in a hotel on a, on a coaster on a napkin, you know, hey, I've got this idea for these lyrics, and they pop them down on a napkin, and then all of a sudden this masterpiece comes together. Stories like that just add to the music and even make it that much better. I've been wanting to ask you about a movie that Paul did that directly relates to our town. Give my regards to Broad Street. I don't know that much about what went into that, and I can't remember why he called it that. Well, for one, uh, have you seen the movie? <laughs> it's a I, it's a I saw year. part of it on Oof. cable a long time ago. Don't really recall any. I'll tell you how much the movie resonated with I don't know the answer to that question. I can't remember why it's brushing. I'm telling you, I believe him. He is straight. This whole thing's a mistake. Where was he last seen? Uh, Tom and Beryl saw him leaving the old justice about half ten. He had the tapes with him. And no one's seen Hyde and I hear of him since. He told me he was straight, and I believed him. I suggested at the time it wasn't exactly the smartest move on earth. What's he going to do with the tapes? Bootleg them. There are plenty of people around here who'd pay a big quid to get their hands on those tracks. Big Bob, for instance. What? Wait a minute. 
stumped Andre. That's what I mean. See, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll learn today. I'll learn what came. I just remember is that loose story about this master tape that was lost and Paul's in it and Ringo and Linda are in it. I remember my brother and I went to the pub where they filmed uh, one of the scenes uh, for the movie. It was right mm-hmm. down at the dock in the south end of London. It was a pretty rough neighborhood, actually. But uh, yeah, that was, and the movie soundtrack was great, but the movie was just tough, tough to, tough to sit through. It really didn't go anywhere. Just, just a mismatch, uh, a big uh, multi-million dollar flop there for Paul. Well, we've kind of been getting into all the different aspects of film as the Beatles go to the movies here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll, I guess the obvious question is, what are your favorites out of all these projects, out of all these moments, these these minutes and hours of film, appearances here and there, like the John uh, making the appearance in the Rolling Stones rock and roll circus film that sat in the vaults for years, things like that. Mm-hmm. Out of all of it, what are your favorites? My absolute favorite moment of a Beatle on film is George Harrison conducting an interview outside the Ruddles uh, offices in the movie The Ruddles. He's talking <laughs> to the, Eric Idle all about, oh, there's no problems here. Everything's just fine. Organization. Meanwhile, in the background, they're like taking sofas and gold records. <laughs> there have been continued allegations the Ruttle Corps is going bankrupt. Eric Manchester, the Ruttles press agent, are these allegations true? No, no. No, they're, uh, they're conjecture, you know. They're, they're sort of rumor. I think you find that where you get success, you'll always find this sort of rumor. No. So the stories of the theft, they're not true also? Uh, no, they're greatly exaggerated, greatly exaggerated. Uh, it's bad, you know, things are going. But uh, nothing like the rate that, that people indicate. The trouble is that people feel that because, because these boys are the Russians, people can come in and just help themselves to whatever they want. And this is just not on. And we're putting a stop to this, and we are doing, you know, it, it, it's almost dried up. Uh, things have gone. I won't deny it. Television sets. The odd car belonging to the company has uh, has disappeared. But, Paul uh, was never a big Ruddles movie fan. I think he took it a little too seriously. But George always saw the humor in that. That, to me, is my, my all-time favorite moment. Do you, th- do you think that, uh, that George just had thicker skin about it because of all the... The harsh comics that he spent time with, they were all pretty, they could all be pretty uh, acid-tongued comedically. Plus, he was also the, you know, George was the first to really you know, see through what he saw as like the whole BS part of the you know, the BS part of fame. And it made it pretty cynical early on, so I think that helped in his performance there. For people who are just getting into the Beatles or for parents who want to teach their children about the Beatles, are there any documentaries or films that you would recommend as far as for first starting out to get into the Beatles? No question. I would recommend Yellow Submarine, which is a wonderful, trippy movie trip through the future and through the sea of holes and the sea of time. And the Blue Meanies aren't that scary. They're just goofy looking enough to not frighten little children. So I would recommend uh, Yellow Submarine. And that's about the only movie that we haven't mentioned to this point. And uh, one of their finest because it involved them crossing into animation and added to the relationship with the great Ron Campbell. That's right. We sadly lost just yes. uh, a few months ago. Sorry to hear. What a, what a wonderful man he was creating those whimsical illustrations. I also would like to recommend um, Rupert the Bear which Paul McCartney bought the rights to right around the time of the Beatles' breakup. In fact, that's the thing he announced when he was announcing he was estranged from the Beatles, that he'd be working and developing this Rupert the Bear film project based on this British television cartoon. Hey, Rupert, do you want to go higher? Only if I don't have to come down again. Hey, stop hogging. 
part. But the movie that they put together is just wonderful. Plus another movie called Tuesday, an animated movie that Paul did. I also recommend for children. It's very, very nice. It's not too long. And it's a real sweet theme. Before we run out of time, I want to ask you about the Beatles TV show that the, the, Ron was part of the animation team. Isn't that how they came together? And did that show like capture you when you were a kid? That was the time when the Beatles cartoons came out that I realized I was an arrogant Beatles fan. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, I eschewed the Beatles cartoons, not because of the animation, which I thought was wonderful, but because of the fake voices. The different guys doing the Beatles. Well, no, that wasn't bad at all. But there were a number of tots out there who were practically humming to themselves. You there, Susan, and you too, Adam. If you don't know the words, just sing, yeah, 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 but with gusto. All right now, prop man, prop man. You called? Yes, now look, this next sing-along number is a real torch song. So I'd like you to bring out some appropriate props to put the people in the right mood, right? A torch song. Uh, I've got just a thing. Now, folks, while Ringo's off getting the proper paraphernalia for this number... The Statue of Liberty? Well, you said it was a torch song, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I said to my mom, I was like four or five years old, this isn't me. I'm not watching this. I watched one episode where Ringo befriended a toad named Bartholomew, and the song in the film, and the song show was I Call Your Name. And all I did was sit through that just to get the I Call Your Name. And I hardly watched the video cartoon again. I call your name, but you're not there. Was I to blame for being unfair? Oh, I can't sleep at night since you've been gone. But then I realized at that point I'm an arrogant Beatles fan. Uh, definitely at age five. five. At age five. That's correct. That's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> he is Andre Gardner. He is, I don't care what you say, the foremost Beatles expert that I know. You know more stuff and you, you share it every day at WMGK in Philadelphia, the classic rock station here, and on your Breakfast with the Beatles show, which just cannot be topped. I've listened to them all, and your show's right up there with Ticket to Ride with Fats. I'm just saying, buddy. You got, hey, look. That's rare air, bro. Praise where get where it's earned, bro. Praise where it's earned. And you're on in a couple of different cities, not just in Philly. You're in uh, in uh, Phoenix still? You're still in Phoenix? And- still on Phoenix at a sweet, tiny AM station called KAZG. Only 92.7 and then 102.9 MGK in Philadelphia. You can hear the show Sunday morning, 7 to 9 Eastern, worldwide at WMGK.com. And in fact, if you listen to the next few weeks and you're a George Harrison fan, you're going to be in for a big treat. And that is a tease, ladies and gentlemen, in many <laughs> terms. Andre Gardner, our guest here on The Imbalance History. I'm going to go get some uh, some tickets, some popcorn, and maybe a crooked eye. I hear they're serving at the theater, Marcus. So, and we'll all go in, and we'll go watch, uh, I don't know, what do you want? I want to watch Magical Mystery Tour. It's been a long time, and I feel a little trippy in this heat. I was Make just going to say, if we're going to watch that, forget the beer. I'm going to need some acid. <laughs> <laughs> Or mushrooms or some shit. I don't know, man. That's out there. But thanks. Thanks, Andre. Thanks for coming on. And uh, the next time we need to know what the real story is when it comes to the Beatles, we'll come and get you. Anytime. Love you guys. Great pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. I feel 
It's time for us to go, Mon Frere. I think you are correct, my friend. We'll be here again soon with another new episode of The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.